You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Ad Astra. I do what I do because of my dad. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. Because up there is where our story is going to be told. This is a top-secret psychological evaluation. Please describe your current emotional state. I'm steady, calm, ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I will remain calm. I will remain focused. You look just like your dad there. He was the first man to the outer solar system. He was a pioneer. But there was much more to him than that. Please, state your mission objective. I am attempting to stop an uncontrolled antimatter reaction, which threatens our entire solar system. Mars. Spacecom believes my father is responsible. We're doing big things up here, real big. What did he find out there in the abyss? The enemy up here not a person or a thing. It's the endless void. The world awaits our discovery, my son. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Ad Astra, and the story is as follows. A man journeys across a lawless solar system to find his missing father, a renegade scientist who poses a threat to humanity. The film is starring Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Nega, Liv Tyler, and Donald Sutherland. It is written and directed by James Gray, co-written by Ethan Gross. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Danilo Castro. How's it going? It's going good. And also joining us, returning from the Loose podcast review that we did, is Onif White. Hello, all. How are you? All right, everyone. So Ad Astra, the movie that we have been talking about, I feel like for the last, what, two and a half, nearly three years, we didn't even know if this was ever going to come out, (laughs) if this was a real thing. Uh, James Gray's anticipated follow up to The Lost City of Z, which for me personally, like I like James Gray and I like the movies that he's done. I like Two Lovers. I really like The Immigrant. Uh, Lost City of Z was such a classic throwback in so many ways to uh, that like 80s and 70s style filmmaking. And I really, really enjoyed that movie. Uh, And it's one that actually grew for me a little bit more over time. I have a feeling that Ad Astra is going to do the same thing, because while I do have flaws with it, ultimately, this is still something that I've been constantly thinking about in my mind over and over and over since I had a chance to see it. With that said, uh, Brad Pitt is having a hell of a year 
right now between this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So we'll definitely talk about him. Um, I want to let everyone know, though, that we're going to avoid spoilers for this review until the end. So for those of you that are worried about spoilers, don't worry. This will be spoiler free until the end of the review. I pass it off first to our guest, Onif. What do you ultimately think of Ad Astra? I saw this last night and I was coming out of the theaters and I was just like, oh my God, I, I love this movie. The, the, the pacing, the slow burn, everything gives you the time. It gives you to just think about each moment that's happening. And Brad Pitt is a monster that I was sitting there saying, is it Oscar time for Brad Pitt with no question? Like who's going to challenge him this year is, was my thoughts. Going, going into it. Yeah, I, I have to admit that me personally, I think Brad Pitt is a great actor. In terms of like combining that movie star status along with some of the character work that he has done, and he's not afraid to take on supporting character roles in movies either. He's also uh, very gracious as a producer, you know, with Plan B and getting other people's stories out there. The guy is just someone who has put out this extremely likable persona that I feel now, this year, people are really, really, really starting to appreciate him. Where before, I think he might have been taken a little bit for granted. And with the one-two punch of his entertainment value in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and what he is doing here, combining that strong stoicism, that that sort of a reserved performance that we saw like Ryan Gosling give, for example, in First Man, but also allowing these very tiny moments of emotion creep through in the performance though as if like it has to fight against that really really tough exterior in order to break through i i I have to say i think it's for me i think it's top three best performance that brad pitt has ever given in a movie here in ad astra so i'm with you onif i think brad is just on another level in this he truly is a monster as you said danilo uh what do you think of that astra um, I think going into it, I was heavily anticipating it. Like you said, we've been waiting on this for quite some time now. And and James Gray's movies are, are interesting in that I don't think I've ever seen one that's hit me completely right away, but I've always come around to it eventually and, and you know, really enjoyed it and kind of soaked it in. Yeah, And agreed. I suspect that, that this will be the case again with Ad Astra, but like you kind of alluded to in your opening statement, there are some issues. Um, narratively, I think it's a little flimsy. And I think the acting does a lot to kind of cover that up. Um, and so I enjoyed the film overall. And I want to get that out there because as, as I start to kind of get into the the nitty gritty and some of the issues I had, I want to say that I did like it ultimately. But there there are some things and it ultimately wasn't quite what I was expecting. But like I said, I'll get into that more as we kind of open the film up. Yeah, let's open her up because I I definitely want to get the flaws out of the way first because I definitely think there's more good here than there are bad. And for me, there's only two bad things about this movie. Um, And, you know, just to be clear, I'm not going to make a pun and say, oh, bad Astra or anything like that. (laughs) We're not at that level. We're definitely not. I'm definitely positive on this movie. But there are two things that are preventing me from loving it. And it's made me kind of question why certain critics are giving this like across the board raves without even acknowledging these. And what I've kind of come to realize is I think that these flaws are ones that they're, they're totally clear and they're unavoidable. 
it's not open to interpretation, in my opinion. However, I do think that the emotional story that is being told with Ad Astra is something that is able to overcome these flaws for people, and they're able to just kind of brush them off to the side. But here are the two big ones. And guys, let me know if you agree or disagree. Number one, everyone outside of Brad Pitt in this movie, every single supporting character, uh, maybe with the exception of Tommy Lee Jones, is utterly and completely wasted in this. Agreed. Yes. So agreed. That is my main problem. So Ruth Nega, Liv Tyler, Donald Sutherland, you know, Donald Sutherland is in a fraction of the movie uh, and then he's gone, never comes back. Made me question and wonder like what his overall purpose was on the narrative and so on and so forth. Uh, Ruth Nega has a pivotal role in the movie, but once again, once she's served her purpose, she's just gone. And Liv Tyler, I mean... It, it, it just gets to a point where all these supporting roles, in my opinion, should have been played by no-name actors, yes. unrecognizable yeah. faces. And then maybe the focus could have truly been pa- placed on Brad Pitt because instead of enriching the story with their presence, which these actors are more than capable of doing, instead it served as a distraction for me because I kept wanting more from all of them and I was not getting it. Part of me was curious as to whether there was more with any of these characters at one point. That actually kind of alludes to my second criticism of the movie. And somebody can one day tell me that I'm completely wrong on this. I am definitely open to hearing it. But this movie screams studio meddling. Yes. That's my biggest gripe. There are scenes in this movie, including a Moon Rover, Mad Max Fury Road-esque <laughs> chase sequence that serves no purpose to the story and feels like it was completely thrown in just to provide audience excitement uh, because at the end of the day, this is a big studio film produced by 20th Century Fox, and I think... James Gray wants to operate in that very operatic, intimate, and yet, like, like it's, it's clear that he wants it to be big, but he also wants it to be intimate. But I don't think that equates to putting in action sequences. Yes. You're right. It was a cool action sequence, though. But, oh, it definitely uh, was. The technicals in this movie are fantastic. If you take that scene out, there, it's, there's no... It, it may, serves no purpose. Like your movie still goes on and your movie still works. 100%. Right. You know, and I, and I felt this way too about the opening scene uh, with the fall that uh, is in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I, those, no, honestly, those are really, oh, well, there is another sequence involving a monkey as well, where it, it just constantly kind of felt like this movie was yes. throwing in these moments of adrenaline f- filled excitement as a means to just maybe make the film a little bit more marketable to a wider audience where I think in reality, James Gray, the whole personal story of what this character is going through and the journey that he's on. I I think that that's what he was more interested in. Especially in the trailer, I would say that the, the trailer gives the impression that there's like a building momentum of these events of these action packed sequences, but the way they're placed in the film, there's not a really momentum. They just occur. And then it, we continue and then they occur and then they continue. So it has kind of a weird stop start effect to it. Yeah, you are. I, I will definitely agree with you. You, when I was sitting there, I was thinking about it, but because the end fulfilled everything, I had to be like, let me just ignore these See? things. See, there it is. That did this. 
and just <laughs> enjoy them because the third act was so fulfilling. I just just ignored those and just went about my business. But yeah, I agree 100 percent on those those two arguments that you said. See, now, if you take out the action bits of the movie. This this legitimately you could make the claim to me and I might believe you that this is basically like, oh, Terrence Malick shot a movie in space. Yes. Those action sequences totally disregard that. But like with the voiceover, um, the meditative, contemplative quality of the film and its slow burn pace that you said before, uh, Danilo, it Mm -hmm. really, really feels like we're getting this extremely introspective uh, look at this character as he's traveling through something that is so vast and so wide that it just calls into question so much wonder and uh, curiosity. It it reminded me a lot of Interstellar in this sort of way, but I feel like where Interstellar was more bombastic with its ideas and um, just the way that film was put together with its technical achievements... This mm-hmm. film just seems like it's going for a, just a much more subtler vibe when those uh, set pieces or those action set pieces are not occurring. I think Ter- Terrence Malick is a good comparison. I didn't think about that. I, what I did think of, and I, I'm curious to get your feedback on this because I know you like this film very much. How do you feel about the comparisons between this film and Apocalypse Now? Hmm. Because I've seen a couple other people make the comparison, at least to the source material, Heart of Darkness. But for me, I did see a lot, at least in terms of the structure. In terms of the journey that the character goes on and how that is played against this epic backdrop. But once again, it is a more intimate and personal journey for the character. It's more internalized in that regard. You know, at the end of the day, he's supposed to be saving the universe, right? But this for him is so much more personal than that, that it's like, I don't give a shit about the universe. I need to get this for myself, (laughs) you know? Mm And mm-hmm. I do feel like there's a bit of that there with Apocalypse now. But I'll be honest, where you didn't think of Malik while watching this, I didn't think once of Apocalypse now while watching this. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Another, I will say another issue that I had was I was not a big fan of the voiceover. Oh, see, now I really, really liked it a lot. For me, at least in spots, I thought it, I thought it was effective in spots as the movie progressed, especially. But early on, there were certain scenes with Pitt where he was interacting with other characters. And I felt like whenever there was a pause or a beat taken, that they would kind of fill it in with narration. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would have liked to have seen him. I would like to maybe have seen him act in silence a little bit more and kind of get, get a sense that. I'm guessing what he's feeling as opposed to just being told overtly. Um, like I said, the narration got a little bit better for me, but that was something that kind of snagged my attention early on. I normally hate nor- nor narration in a film. It, the moment I see it, my mind just goes lazy, lazy. But in this, mm-hmm. I thought it, I thought it really, really at first after I got over my own biases, I was just like, wow, this narration makes this film it fulfills the thing that this film needs uh, or the film has. And so this is the first time I've seen a narration um, in a film that I'm like, yeah, I, I would have preferred to have been in his vo- in his mind like they did here in this film. So I agree that there are small little spots that I'd rather um, have that moment. But here it works maybe 90% of the time. So I was with it. I really like it because... When you're dealing with the existential in a character uh, study, 
I, I think back to a film from last year, which I think we all really, really enjoyed, First Reformed. Yeah. And how we were able to get in that character's headspace and really understand what he was going through as he was wrestling with um, similar questions that the Brad Pitt character, uh, Roy McBride, is also wrestling with in this as well. And it's very interesting how those two, you know, religion and uh, the space cosmos kind of uh, intertwine a little bit in that regard, Mm -hmm. you know. And so Mm -hmm. I, I actually think in both cases it works. I think in other types of movies... Um, it doesn't work, but when you're doing a introspective character study that is dealing with lots of thought-provoking questions, I think that's when it's okay to have that voiceover narration to really, really put you in the headspace of that character and get you to also think about uh, these questions more overtly. Because otherwise, if we didn't have the voiceover, I wonder how hard our brains would have to work or would they be working at all to uh, get us to question the things that we are talking about when it comes to Ad Astra, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah sure. It was so sure. good, though, that I think maybe we wouldn't have. So maybe the Nilo. Like the film has to guide us a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think here it's uh, perfectly fine. All right. So things that I like. Um, sure. Obviously, Brad Pitt, as I said before. Yes. I think that goes without question. Does anyone else have anything to say about Brad? Because I, I could go on all day. Uh, no, we can talk all day on it. I love him so much. He's, I agree. He's great in the film. I, I wish he was getting more Oscar buzz for this than he was for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. I felt he exuded everything from the confidence that, like, just the most, most confident person you would ever trust to be in a thing to then swapping the emotions at the right moment. Everything I felt so much that I was just like, I feel like you right now. I love that, like, the one quality about him that's uh, unique, uh, that is something that we ourselves maybe are not able to identify with as much, is that I love that his pulse never goes above 80 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, once I set that up with his his character, I'm like, oh, that's a really, really unique character trait that's going to inform the performance and give Brad an opportunity here. And I think it really does help a lot because you're seeing that even when he's falling from space down to earth in the opening scene. Right. He's so calm and cool (laughs) under pressure. And he's like this throughout the movie. But I found that as he goes on his uh, journey to Mars and then beyond Mars to Neptune, you can just start to see that pieces of this character are being lost as -hmm. the journey goes on. And he's kind of slowly withering away. And this calm, cool under pressure persona is cracking more and more as he gets closer to his uh, destination. Uh, the uh, the older he gets, the more I'm the more I want to draw parallels between him and Robert Redford as an actor. Mm. And both of them are, are are master at what you just said, Matt, at at having a cool facade and then just kind of turning up the pressure. And so you see that kind of internal uh, internal conflict or whatever you want to call it manifest and I think I think you could argue he's getting better at it with age. I think so, too. Yeah. I will say, in terms of their two astronauts, Gosling and in, in First Man and him, I have to give it to Brad Pitt here. In, and I, Oh, I yeah, definitely. I, I'm 100% with Brad you Pitt. on this. I agree, too. Yeah. I, I, I agree mostly because I think that, I don't know, I... I've, uh, I don't know. You know what? Like, they're both good. Don't get me wrong. I yes. just personally prefer uh, what Brad is doing here a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and whether that's because of Brad himself or um, the impact of the movie around him, 
you know, for example, I thought Max Richter's score for this was an incredible mood setter. And just like how in, in so many movies, when the music is great, it can put you in a in like a headspace when you're watching a film where once again you might just totally disregard like everything else and i can't tell you how many times i've watched something and it, it just a well-placed good piece of music will make me forgive so much because of the <laughs> feeling that it ignites within me more so than the performances the story music for me personally it just has that impact on me and max richter's score just oh it did everything it needed to do in terms of James Gray's style because it was, it was slow, it was uh, very atmospheric, it was soothing, and it was incredibly beautiful at times in in a way that I was not quite expecting because he can be very elaborate sometimes with his strings and uh, some of the other pieces of film music that he's done before, but this was just it, it, like. I'm telling you, just the overall vibe that this movie was going for, um, it it nailed it for me completely. Yeah, it has a. I mean, the this the aesthetic overall. I think it might be one of the most sheerly pleasurable of the year for me, at least in that front. We're talking visually and 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 in terms of score. Uh, I think there's a lot going on that you can just kind of sit back and be in awe of. Well, the, in terms of the visual aspect too, I mean, it's shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema, who also shot Interstellar. Yes. And I went into this wondering, okay, how is this going to be similar to Interstellar? Because, you know, it's kind of unavoidable. And how is it going to be different? And I got to give Hoyt Van Hoytema credit for crafting what is clearly a futuristic sci-fi film like Interstellar. Maybe, you know, even set within the same time period, per- perhaps. I'm, I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but... They still have very two distinct looks to them uh, while still retaining Hoyt Van Hoytema's trademark look, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, when I was watching, I was processing all the space movies from First Man to Gravity to um, Interstellar and this. And I couldn't feel that any of them were had any similarities in terms of. Uh, there's cinematography. It, it, there's it, even a bit of Blade Runner 2049 in here. That's true, which is... I love that, that. That's a beautiful shot. Are you talking about the hallway? Yeah, the yes. hallway, and also when he's on uh, Mars, and he's running through like the orange uh, dust oh, yeah. uh, landscape, yeah. and it's like a silhouette. It reminded me of Ryan Gosling, uh, you know, yeah. in this in the silhouette with the orange backdrop. Like, There's some beautiful, beautiful stuff in this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, especially when we get to the third act as well. There's a lot of really, really, really interesting visual stuff going on there. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then, of course, uh, something else, too. And this is like, you know, usually um, typical with space films. Uh, the sound work is really unique at times. You know, we talked about that uh, moon rover sequence, which, you know, admittedly not a fan of. But I can't deny the fact that uh, the sound work in that scene was really, really cool and very unique. Mm hmm. Because of the fact that they're really highlighting like more of the um, impact of the sound rather than the actual sound effects themselves, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. How how they use no no uh, sound in space and mm-hmm. it's just void of sound at specific moments until you, like you said, you get those impacts, but they're so subtle. Yeah, impacts. And it felt like um that scene felt like a cowboy chase sequence, um in space. And, but it felt just distinct on the moon. Stagecoach influencing movies yes. this many mm-hmm. decades later. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good and, you point. know, the visual effects, too. Uh, 
while they weren't mind blowing to me, I mean, I don't know what, what format you guys saw this on, but I saw it um, in uh, Dolby Atmos and it's a pretty big screen. It's not a full IMAX screen, but pretty mm-hmm. big, great, great sound quality. And, you know, it's not as clean and polished and detailed as Gravity, but it, it, I mean, like, I don't know. I guess this is a little bit of a, it's not a knock. Just the visual effects didn't really wow me. You know what I mean? In the same way that I've yeah. seen with other space films before. You're right. Uh, I thought about gravity and go, the sleekness, the, the, the thing of gravity in what it had there is just, um, gravity took it to another level. Yeah, it makes me appreciate gravity that much more. Yeah, but I, I don't think anybody can meet gravity. I mean, that thing was made, what, two-year time span just to get the visuals done and worked on so yeah there's a reason gravity is so exceptional and then um you know from a production design standpoint uh that moon uh airport mall quality (laughs) that they were going for Mm -hmm. that was freaking wild i wish i had a pause button so that i could take a look at the little shops and stuff that they had in there that was really really neat i really really dug that it was a very cool concept and then, you know, there were there was a lot of uh, other really good production design in this, too, like with some of the interiors. Um, but I, I think it's more subtle. That's definitely, I think, the flashiest moment for sure is that uh, that moon sequence. But other, mm-hmm. other than that, though, um, I think there's some very interesting production design here that is going to get uh, probably brushed under the radar a little bit. But the sound booth, you mean the sound booth? The sound booth looks great. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I want to point out. It, it does look great. Mm hmm. No, no, there's some really, really interesting stuff here. I, I will I will admit that. It, it just I don't think it's I don't think it's as in your face. Look at me, production design, you know what I mean? Sort of uh mm-hmm. it's very, very subtle. I think it's perfect though, because it's a character piece. So I yeah. Think, yeah, you know, anything else would just take away from what you know, that experience of what it is about literally nothing in this movie no supporting characters no music no visual effects nothing is going to distract us from the journey that this character is going on and i think that's what people are really responding to ultimately with that astra in a very very strong way is that the movie every single element literally every element is all in service to the roy mcbride character and the journey that he is going on Mm mm-hmm to its detriment, though. To its detriment, yeah. Counts. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, alrighty. So what I want to do now is I do want to just talk about final thoughts, uh, anything that we did not just discuss, and then we'll uh, give a grade. Uh, we'll talk about the Oscar potential for this movie, and then we'll transition over into the spoilers, as I mentioned before. So, Onif, I'll start off with you. Is there anything that we uh, did not get a chance to mention here about Ad Astra Um or do you want to save it all for the spoiler section? I want to save that for the spoiler section, as a matter of fact. Okay. All right. And uh, what grade would you give at Astra? An 8.5. No point fives. I'm going to make you choose between okay. an 8 or a 9. <laughs> Welcome to the next uh, Best Picture podcast. <laughs> uh, let's go with a – because the third act was so fun, I have to go 9 then because the third act fulfilled – this char- this whole thing with the character so much that I have to go positive uh, in terms of going back to an eight. So, yeah, let's go nine. Okay. All right. Danilo? I would say we've brought up other um, sci-fi-related films, Gravity, Interstellar. Um, I think in the case of Interstellar, for me personally, that film does 
and it, that that film sets up its ducks in a row to execute an emotional arc a little stronger for me. And like I mentioned before, I think the narration is kind of an issue for me. Uh, the supporting cast, there, there, there are gripes that, as you mentioned, Matt, there are kind of unavoidable. And with all that said, I'm going to end up giving the film a seven out of ten. Yeah, you know, I too am at a seven out of ten, Danilo. Uh, a strong, very, very strong seven out of ten, though, because I just. I had I had difficulty with this one in the sense of I wanted to grade it a little bit higher because it really did have a very emotional impact on me while watching it. And I was so, so in love with the technicals, with Brad Pitt's performance. I wanted to give it an eight. I really, really did. But mm-hmm. I just had to kind of be honest with myself and say that the flaws that I had with the movie uh, were flaws that uh, while some people are you know, acknowledging slash ignoring, um, I can't ignore. Mm. So they're going to impact my score here. And I, I, I too, am going to be at a seven on it. Uh, there are some very, very interesting moments done in this movie in terms of the journey that, uh, Roy goes on and that it almost feels like, uh, like I was saying before, I, I like they're like the set pieces are memorable, but at the same time, I, 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 man, I just feel like if you took out these moments, the movie would be 90 minutes long instead of a little over two hours, right? Mm-hmm. And I have to admit it would be a totally different kind of movie. It would definitely feel more like an independent film that was, you know, done in space with $100 million. <laughs> yes. Where this, it's like it's trying to find that fine line between being that while also being a studio film for general audiences. And I do think that that, is a mistake because to me, it's just so apparent uh, because those sequences in the movie don't have any major impact on the story other than, Oh, look what this character had to go through in order to get to this point. He's been through hell and Mm -hmm. back, hasn't he? And I don't think you need that in order to sell the emotion at the end. I think it's there regardless. I agree. So with that said, uh, Oscar potential tough one with this. Yeah, very tough. I I don't really know yet. Um, We've just received word recently that the original score by Max Richter is not going to be eligible uh, because of the contributions from other composers on it, uh, uh, which is a, a shame. It is too bad. It's my favorite film score of the year. So I think that outside of that, though... You know, I could see the sound, the visual effects, and the cinematography, maybe the production design, all being in play. I, I, I can't, I can't accurately tell you though which of those would actually get in, if any. This might end up being one of those films where we predict, oh, maybe it'll get one nomination here, maybe a second one there, but in the end, it might just get none. I think it's worthy, particularly as you mentioned in cinematography and production design. But yeah, if I'm, if I had to guess. I think this one is getting shut out. Brad, I, I want listen. If critics are going to rave this movie the way that they have, then they better you know put the vote where their mouth is, when, and they better vote for Brad Pitt for their end of year critics awards and best actor. <laughs> if the, if he is going to have any shot in hell, uh, the critics need to go for him here. The problem is is that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is kind of already 
a proven thing. It's a mainstay now within the conversation. It ain't going anywhere. And uh, unless if things happen in the best actor category where people just start dropping out of it for whatever reason, <laughs> I, 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 I just can't see it happening. As much as, like I said, as much as I would rather he get put there instead of in supporting personally, personally. I know there's people out there that are fans of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and what he does here. But I, I think this is just like, this is taking literally the best qualities of like the strong, uh, stern type of performance that he gave in like the Tree of Life and mixing mm-hmm. it with the qualities of likability that he displayed in Moneyball. I'm conflicted because I think the performance here is is technically stronger and more in depth. But for me, I think Once Upon a Time is the stronger film. So I'm kind of split and neither one is like a real slant. I'll tell you what, I'd be blown away if he got nominated for this. This would be such an interesting oblique film for him to land a nomination. think stronger than him in this year? You think uh... – um, in terms of well, I, I I I haven't seen Joker yet. I'm seeing that soon, but I've seen Adam Driver and Mad- Marriage Story, and I would definitely rank um, him above Brad right now, personally. That makes sense. Mm. And I mean, I've also seen Jonathan Price in the Two Popes, and I mean, mm. I've seen, I've seen a few of the Irishman coming. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what that's one. Like for example, like if Bob De Niro is not like a big deal, uh, that could that could make an opening for Brad. Mm-hmm. But we also have to remember too, Brad Pitt's not campaigning this year. Yeah. Which is a campaign in and of itself. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's how he's going to sneak in because he's not campaigning. He's just It's like, not making a statement, yeah. but that's a statement. Yeah. I, but I also don't see Fox going for this as hard as they will something like Ford v. Ferrari, for example. Yeah. yeah. It's a little less um, prestige in the traditional sense. I think they just don't know what they had with this. The fact that it only went to Venice and didn't go anywhere else. The fact that it's being released super early. I mean, the comparisons mm-hmm. that people were making to First Man uh, before this came out, I thought were pretty pretty much on the ball because of the fate of that movie last year. And I think the same thing is destined to happen here as well, probably. Um, it is yeah. doing well at the box office, though. I mean, it's... Uh, I don't think it's going to win the weekend, but uh, or it might. I'm not sure. I haven't taken a look yet, but... That Brad Pitt star power. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's going to probably... It's not going to be number one in the box office, but I mean, it might be number two behind Downton Abbey. Which, I mean, you know. <laughs> Downton Abbey. Yeah. Okay, let me see what we have here. <laughs> yeah, right now for Friday Estimates, um, it's number three. Downton's at 13. Rambo's above it right now, and... Um, Slightly above it. Yeah. Not even, only by like 9,000, so. But I mean, the reality, the reality is that I think once certain people see Ad Astra, uh, you know, it's got a B minus cinema score. I think people are going to be like, oh, it was too slow. Oh, you know, it was not what I thought it was going to be, you know. <laughs> that's true. That, that's, it's the Blade Runner 2049 argument. It, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that as well. Uh, I give credit though uh, to Fox and I get uh, and credit to James Gray for a funding the movie because you know you're funding a James Gray movie set in space <laughs> with a hundred million dollars. Uh, so I give credit to 20th Century Fox for doing that, and I also give credit to James Gray for expanding his horizons as a filmmaker and uh, going into this this genre. I was so so excited for this movie when I heard about it initially mm-hmm. and. I, I, I'm not disappointed. Um, I just really wish I loved it as much as so many others do. Yeah. Okay. 
With that said, uh, spoilers now for Ad Astra. If you're still listening at this point and you don't want to be spoiled, turn off the podcast now. But otherwise, we are about to go into spoiler territory for Ad Astra. Here we go. So, Brad Pitt's uh, journey in this movie, um, he is essentially trying to stop something called The Surge. It's a bunch of these different random power surges that are uh, occurring across the uh, galaxy. It's weird saying galaxy. Should I just say universe? I don't even know. Because every time I say galaxy, I think of, like, Marvel now. Like, the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to just show up. (laughs) They only went to Saturn, right? So Yeah. Our solar system. Yeah. Our solar system. Okay. So... It's basically causing all this uh, destruction, and it basically coincides with um, a mission that his father, uh, Clifford McBride, manned uh, many decades ago, essentially, and the mission was lost, and the crew was lost, and never heard from them since. Turns out his father is still alive, and they think, based on where the surges are coming from, that it has something to do with uh his father so they bring roy in to make connection with him and they gotta it's really really it's it's, it's interesting we're gonna we're gonna send you to mars however long that's gonna take just so you can read a message because we think it it will appeal to your father you know <laughs> and one thing that um I, I failed to mention earlier that i really really liked about this movie a lot and once again it helped with the psychological headspace aspect of this character and the journey he was going on was the constant psych evals that he had to do. Yes. Really, really like that I a lot. I mention those. I do like those. So um, constantly they're checking to see if he's fit emotionally to handle this mission. And once they determine that he's not because he goes off script, in what is a really, really beautiful moment, uh, actually, when he personally talks to his dad from the heart, um, you know, then he's like, you know, not allowed to go on the mission and stuff and, you know, Bunch of other crazy stuff happens. Uh, needless to say, he fights his way back, gets over to his dad. He, and Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones have a uh, couple of scenes at the end. And the movie ends up uh, explaining its true message to us, which is, uh, yes, we're always trying to uh, pursue knowledge, purpose, discovery. But the answers are right here in, from, in front of us sometimes, and we have to learn how to let go. And I, I thought that was all very poignant, very beautiful, the way that, that yeah. the film conveyed that message in the end. I agree. I think uh, I think Tommy Lee Jones was very good in his scenes. I thought they I thought their scenes were powerful together. I'm glad that he wasn't like cuckoo bananas crazy, even though. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. that many years in space alone, he should be. He totally should be. <laughs> <laughs> he should have I, been Kurtz. Just I, I rambling. That, I think that's the exceptional nature of his character. Right. That's true. That's why he's true. out there. And that's why he's because he is so into finding what he's looking for and going through. And so when you, you contrast him and the Donald Sutherland character and, you you know, and Donald Sutherland said, you know, he's a you know, he the character failed or gave up, literally gave up that his heart gave out where he couldn't actually go on the mission. You saw <laughs> the difference between the two. I just wish they they did more with Donald Trump. Oh my there. god, yeah. Like yeah. I understood what they were doing here, but at the same time I kind of didn't because I'm like it's just such a weird storytelling choice. Right. It, it, you know. It's been a better contract. Like you you just said it yourself and how you just tied it to the Clifford McBride character, Onif. Like I I get that, but I I just feel like that's so weird to do in a movie, you know? 
Maybe like in a book or something like that makes sense. But or maybe just could have been executed better because I like the idea of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Make him raise him when he was younger. But the, the pit character is chasing after his father no matter what. So he could have been the surrogate. There you go. Him, That's an, yeah. You saw the contrast of he gave up. But his father didn't on that journey. And there's a reason for the difference. So when he goes to meet him at the end, you can feel that that difference. It would help to get the um, the idea that the thing what Pitt went on that journey for solidified even better. Yeah, I agree. That would be good. And so that annoyed me when I when it happened. I was just like, what was the point of this? His character <laughs> when he just when that just happened, like this is the biggest waste of thing. Just give me somebody else. I was so upset. Yeah. And and I was out. It took me out the movie for a while when that happened. And until, um, you know, I was just like, let me just forget it. Because, uh, you know, so when I got when it was up to the moon sequence, the little crazy stagecoach moon, moon sequence. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when it started to bring me back in. I was like, okay, it's a little action. Let me just forget about what happened with this Donald Sutherland thing and just enjoyed what happened in the movie next. And then Ruth Negga happened and I got annoyed again. Yeah. It, uh-huh. Yeah. I was so, so annoyed by how underutilized she was. Yeah. They, they set it up as though she was going to be integral to the final act. And right. she, she just left. Them. She gets a middle shot where she's just standing in that hallway and then <laughs> the, the, the cinematography with the light starts, you know, getting darker and darker and then it comes through. You know, you're like, all right, cool. This She's going to be something. And then, oh, mm-hmm. no, you killed my parents. Your dad killed my parents. I was like, oh, that's a big reveal. Like, so, yeah, I got annoyed. There. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, really frustrating. I, I really, really wish that there was more to it. It, it does feel like there was more. Uh, with this movie in general. I mean, it's one of two things. Either stuff was forced in Mm -hmm. that was underdeveloped or they had more material and they had to cut it due to time. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see what a longer cut would look like. Oh, I'd watch it. Yeah. I'll definitely watch it. What I will say about the ending, just to go back to it, I do like the fact, because they do kind of allude to the fact that you know, that they have interviews with Tommy Lee Jones before he goes on his trip, how uh, they're going to find life and how, you know, there's this teasing of, did he find anything? Did he find it? I like the fact that he didn't. And that, like you said, Matt, it was ultimately about what's right in front of our faces. I like I liked that thematically. And I liked the kind of pivot from that, the little tease. Yeah, ultimately, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I do like the ending. I, I think at the end of the day, the the ending of the film sticks to landing. Yeah, he he even reconnects with his wife at the end of the movie. Um, you know, because there's a parallel there between uh, him being mm-hmm. so focused on his mission and not seeing what's right there in front of him, as this message of the movie suggests. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is interesting how um, the data from uh, the mission also uh, suggests to him that humans are the only like intelligent life in the universe and there is not anything else out there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found it very interesting that the movie chose to explain that so that it kind of forced uh, Roy to come to the decision that he comes to at the end, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, or the realization rather. Um, I don't know. A part of me was wondering if it would have been more powerful, whether he knew that or not, it didn't matter. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So, I don't know. That, that, 
I like it. I definitely like it. I, I just, to your point, Danilo, that you said earlier, I just think the storytelling in it is just a little flimsy at times in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of really, really interesting stuff here. Um, the stuff with the crew on the ship that he boards. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, it's amazing how he's being so reasonable and so calm and... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know about everything but the situation is so tense regardless yes and it just ends in everyone getting killed and then he gets on like the comms and he's like uh the whole crew are dead uh, i need to reiterate this is not my fault <laughs> yeah and then and then that's the last we hear of it <laughs> I, I think that's the good well, but I, the but the best thing though i remember thinking to myself okay you are gonna allow this huge nuclear explosion to propel you back to Earth. And I said to myself, if the film shows us successfully arriving on Earth, I'm going to be a little pissed off because mm-hmm. that guy is going to be fucking court-martialed, thrown yes. in jail. <laughs> like, he ain't going to be able to enjoy anything on planet Earth ever again. And that is why I kept remember, like thinking to myself, oh, he's not... This is, like, this is the point of no return for this character. There's no turning back. There's no way he can go back home. There's no way. I, I thought that too. And the oh, fact that I he mean, goes back home mm-hmm. and then the movie ends and, okay. and we don't see the aftermath of any of this, I was like, oh, that, well, that's just like, that, 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 once again, it feels like studio meddling. They gave us an ending that was happy but defied logic of what happened in the story. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because um, I was having the same thought until when, at the end, when his hand got reached out and they pulled him out. So it gave you that, those two things. But they set you up and explained to you why it wouldn't happen because. Because of what he did, remember his father and they covered all of that up. They would have done done the same thing here and covered it up. They set us up with the cover up of his father and the mission he goes on there and how his legacy created the whole that whole space program and all that stuff. So um, because of what he did and accomplishing the task, him coming back, he wasn't going to get court martialed. So do we? So what do you think? Do we think there's like a greater commentary here in regards to? large organizations such as this in their pursuit of the greater truth and the greater good uh, oh, yes. will, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I was it's, in the, if it's there, it's peripheral. Yeah. Um, I think that that could work. Uh, I think that works to kind of explain it like a little bit in my head, but emotionally it is a little like, he just he just indirectly killed a couple people. He did, but there's also the, the difference between him actually owning it versus his father using an excuse for, and I think that's why they had that sequence of the death because when he went to his mm, father it's okay to challenge the two of them and go i'm owning what i did his father's like no the mission's more important so i had to do what i had to do all right yes. okay all right i'll give you that because that's interesting <laughs> uh, listen i love contrast and i think that uh sure, astra no, is filled with a, them this is a good point yeah and so that's why i was loving the movie so much because they showed you it's so character driven it's so everything a lot of the silly things like him jumping on the um the onto the ship from that whole thing you know i i I said this is the craziest thing ever where the hell did this come from (laughs) and people got killed and i was like okay it's gonna pay off when later on but up until then i was just like this is the stupidest thing ever um uh or even him getting rocketed I thought this was crazy, but I was like, well, it's going to pay off. And it paid like those things paid off for me. That's why I actually gave it gave it such a high score, because even though it was ridiculous, it paid off and it paid off emotionally for me. Yeah, Um, because I felt this character so much. I have been through this character where you um, where I was like him 
but then I came to a point where I I agreed. I was in a, the mix of human beings or the mission because, you know, I was in the Navy, right? And so human beings or the mission. And so I sided with humanity like he did. So this was really personal for me. Yeah. And so that's why. And, w- and what did you guys think of uh, the Rafiki uh, cameo in this movie? <laughs> it was so – it went nowhere. It was so pointless. It annoyed the hell out of me. Uh, it was cool, but it went nowhere. It was pretty cool in the sense of like, oh, my God, like all these uh, crew members are dead. There's like blood everywhere and stuff, and you're wondering what the hell could it be. Next thing you know, you're like, holy fuck, CGI space monkey. You know? <laughs> like, and I remember like thinking to myself, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Okay. It was so plot device like though. Um, but you know what though? Oh, like, that's like, pretty crazy because uh, that sort of thing could potentially happen if you're yeah. going to be sending animals yeah. up into space for, you know, doing these tests and things of that nature. Uh, there is a good chance that the animals could, shit could go wrong, you know? Well, you know, it is kind of foreshadowing though that the craziness of what happens to them is the same thing that happened to um, his father's crew. Yeah, it's the same thing that happens to him later with that other crew. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. Like I said, I get it. It's just the execution of it is just so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are chipping at my score now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you made some good points, though, also, in, conversely. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with the movie. There's a lot to pull apart. Yeah, and I can talk about it. I saw it last night. I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this because I got <laughs> out at, like, 2 o'clock. And I was just like, you know what? <laughs> Let me text. Let me see if I can get on because I really needed to talk about this so much. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you were able to uh, hop on and definitely have a conversation with us. Uh, that conversation now is coming to an end. So, our final transmission here from planet Earth to our podcast <laughs> listeners. Anyone have any final thoughts on Ad Astra in the spoiler section? Mm-hmm. I just, I, the only thing I could say is I think. Um, it's a great execution in exceptional human beings and they, you know, and yeah, them having to tell their story and them going back and him deciding that I, in the beginning, for example, um, he, he said when he was going out into the ship, going out into the, the area where he's about, where he begins the descent to fall to earth. Um, he said, don't touch me. And so that sequence at the end where, um, the pot opens and the guy reaches his hand in and he takes that hand. That meant so much to me in terms of what that fi- what the film is so much about and the complete journey of the film that I had to, I had to want to talk about this. I, it forced me to talk about the humanity of the side. So that's the only thing. That's the one thing that journey was so big for me that um, emotionally that it, this film said everything about humanity for me. Yeah, um, I'll definitely uh, agree. With, I, I like what it has to say about humanity and our pursuit for uh, greatness and uh, the truth and knowledge, discovery, and all of those things that we were talking about before. And also, too, how sometimes, uh, as we said before, when that pursuit is also being uh, assisted by these large organizations, um, how there will be matters taken to preserve that ideal uh, image of the people that are serving this purpose, uh, despite, you know, uh, things that get in the way and could uh, damage that perception. Uh, that's all very, very interesting to me. And then the other thing um, I'll, I'll just say before we get to you here, uh, Danilo, is at the end of the day, I, I, I just really, really, once again, I just want to like hammer this home. I admire the fact that this is a 
cross between an entertaining but also very thought-provoking uh, sci-fi film that's set in space with $100 million with an original script, you know, no pre-existing property whatsoever. And I really just, I, I want to I charge that because these kinds of movies, as we say time and time again on the podcast, a mid-budget uh, adult drama, it's just constantly being uh, withered away, you know, piece by piece, year by year. And we're getting fewer and fewer of them or they're all going to streaming. So to get an experience like this in the movie theater on this kind of scale and combining both the epic and the intimate in a single uh, experience, though it does have flaws um, at the same time, I still very much appreciate it. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, I'm glad you, like to, to, to kind of pair it off what you said. Uh, I'm glad this movie is out there. I'm glad this movie's doing well. Um I'm glad James Gray got the opportunity to make it. And uh, while I do have issues with the movie, this is a movie that has enough of my interest and enough of my brain working that it is something I'm going to go back to and sort of reassess. And, you know, hopefully, as I said with previous James Gray movies, hopefully something clicks there that, that didn't click the first time around. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, you know, not m- not quite what I was expecting, but... Uh, a worthwhile viewing experience nonetheless could you imagine if they pulled like an indiana jones and the crystal uh skull and they just had like aliens <laughs> in the third act i, I just would i, I would be calling this one of the worst movies of the year i'm so glad they didn't go that route and do something completely like just bonkers out there unexpected that wouldn't have been good i'm really glad that they kept it character driven and they focused yes. in on this character yes that decision is what is keeping this like critical reception alive for this movie because people really connected to it. Yeah, I, I think the ending. I think you walk out with the real strong emotional tie to the ending and the way they do it. It's funny. I wasn't even expecting aliens. I I expected that nothing was going to be there and he had to battle that. Um, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about aliens at all. To tell you the truth, wow. A part of me, like, I was, uh, there was a lot that I was wondering while watching it. I was wondering, is his dad even going to physically be there? Is he going to go on this whole journey for absolutely nothing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was, there was definitely a lot of scenarios that were going through my mind. And the movie is slow enough that it allows for your brain to be processing this information while it's taking place. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. what I love. I watched Blade Runner 2049 yesterday, actually Friday, no, Thursday. And then I did it on Friday again because... It, it's the slow burn that gives you that time to think about these things. Absolutely. All right, Onif, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you guys can find me at Black Space Magic on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find my short film, Echoes of a Winter Sunshine, on Amazon Prime Video. All right, cool, cool. Danilo? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Ad Astra here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. You can also lend that support over by going to Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.